Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Forever Wingman Podcast, the podcast all about life and careers in the U.S. Air Force. This is episode number seven. I'm Josh, the host of the show, and today I'm interviewing Air Force Staff Sergeant Kyle Gott on the Aircraft Structural Maintenance Career Field, which is the 2 Alpha 7 X3 AFSC. If you've done any research on YouTube about the Air Force, then you have more than likely watched one of his videos. He has a huge YouTube channel with over 85,000 subscribers to date, and he makes videos all about the U.S. Air Force. I'll be sure to put a link to his channel in the show notes, which can be found at foreverwingman.com slash 007. You can also leave comments and questions there as well. So here's the interview with Sergeant Gott on the Aircraft Structural Maintenance Career Field. I'll be back after to fill in any of the gaps. Staff Sergeant Gott, thank you so much for coming on the show. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding, man. So you're here to talk about the Aircraft Structural Maintenance Career Field, which is the uh, 2 Alpha 7X3 Air Force Specialty Code. But before we jump right into it, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe where you're from and uh, why you decided to join the Air Force? And then also you got some cool things going on over on YouTube. So tell us a little bit about that too. So uh, my name is Kyle Gott, and I am currently 25 years old, but I joined the Air Force when I was 21. I was originally from Iowa, born and raised Cedar Rapids. Shout out to anybody that's from there. Woot, woot. Not a lot of people. <laughs> uh, I was born and raised in Iowa, and I couldn't stand it. I wanted to leave. So I saw one of my only options was to join the military, and I originally was going to join the Army because I wanted to leave ASAP. And my mom said, no, look into the Air Force. Good so. for your mother. Good for your mother. Not crash, not trashing on any of the Army guys out there, but good for her for uh, for you know doing a check on you. <laughs> and um, so we, uh, so I went and talked to the Air Force recruiter. Took uh, took me 13 months from when I started talking to my recruiter till I left for BMT. It was a very long process. Wow. Found out I was color deficient in the process which really eliminated a lot of jobs, which is one of the reasons why I'm in the career field that I'm in right now. Yeah. I don't know the exact list of all the color deficient jobs though. Um, but I do know that it cuts it down from like over a hundred to like 20 some. Yeah. Uh, which is, wow, that is, that is a, that's pretty drastic. I scored an 82 on my ASVAB and qualified for nearly every job. Wow. And oh my gosh. And I, I couldn't see full color. And then they were like, Nope, scratch that. So, Oh man. Uh, I wanted to join the military in general just to serve my country, and I really just wanted to travel. That was a huge thing. And you mentioned my YouTube channel, uh, Kyle Gott, on YouTube. I do Air Force informational videos, and I have since a year or two before I joined the Air Force. So six years now, I've been posting Air Force informational videos. And actually, this week, I just dropped a video explaining the military wasn't worth it. And in that video, I explain – reasons why I joined the Air Force. Like what are some of the main reasons why and why it's worth it because I get to fulfill those things that I wanted to join for. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that um if if anyone's done any kind of research on any air anything dealing with the Air Force on YouTube, I'm I'm sure they've came across your your YouTube channel because it's pretty massive. I think right now it's like over eighty thousand subscribers, right? Right around eighty five thousand uh over I think I am the largest Air Force. I, I think you are. I think you are. I'm not Just in doing sure. in a little bit of research, I think you're uh, you're pretty popular amongst the Air Force I know, research I know on that YouTube. There's a makeup YouTuber that is in the Air Force, and she's a tech sergeant, I believe. But she doesn't. She's supposed to like three videos about the Air Force, and other than that, she doesn't talk about it at all. Yeah. But Air Force information, I think I am the largest 
uh, Air Force YouTuber. Yeah, absolutely, man. And and you got some, like you said, man, some amazing videos over there that I think will help anyone who's actually thinking about joining the Air Force. So, and I'll post a link to those in the uh, show notes on this show to make sure that people get over there and watch some of your videos because even me in in preparation in preparation for a lot of the shows or content that I may be putting out on the Forever Wingman website. Um, I've, I've, I've even ended up over on your YouTube channel just in doing the research on it because it's been so long. So it's like, Oh, the recruitment process, what's that like? Or, you know, the air force financials, what is, is anything changed on that or anything like that? So you got a lot of great videos over there. So that's, uh, so I'll make sure that people get over there for that too. So what, where have you been stationed at? Uh, I just left Kadena air base in Okinawa, Japan. Actually, I was there for three years. Uh, headed there straight after tech school as my first duty station. Yeah. Got really lucky, honestly, with the overseas because, uh, out of my whole class, two guys got overseas and I was one of them. So that is awesome. Yeah. And we talked about it a little bit before the show that I was actually stationed over at Kadena air base as well. And it was my second base and, uh, and, uh, shout out to anyone who's ever been there before. I guess got to do a shout out for a little Coco's curry. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, then try and get stationed in Okinawa, Japan and you'll become very familiar with Coco's curry. My wife actually just made a cooking video about that on I, her YouTube channel. So. I watched your video on it and she mentioned, I'm like, oh my gosh. And yes. So, um, when I actually it, got it out of, it smells just like, just like Japanese cocos. Curry. Are you like, serious? Yeah. So I got to go check that out too. But I, um, um, as soon as I got out, I was like, I was having withdrawals. I felt like I was maybe a little bit addicted and, um, and I learned how to make it myself and it's taken me years to finally perfect the recipe, but now I want to go over and check hers out and see if we're doing anything different because well, you should share that recipe with me. So I can... <laughs> yeah, because you either love it or you hate it. And that's, and yeah. it sounds like you love it. So you're definitely in that, in that club. So that's cool. So, um, where are you stationed at right now? Uh, so we just recently PCS four months ago to Nellis air force base in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, again, I got really lucky. I actually got my top pick on that one. Uh, there's a whole bunch of details. I need to make a, a more clear video on how all that works for yeah. uh, PCSing. Uh, but I got really lucky, and there were some reasons why I got my number one pick that are very rare for people. Um, but Nellis in Las Vegas was our number one. I, I didn't really have many choices, so um, – yeah. So yeah, the assignment um, process is definitely an art, um, especially coming from overseas and, and, uh, you know, if you're ever deployed or anything like that and you get certain preferences and stuff like that, you on your list. play the system and if yes. you don't do it correctly, you can really get screwed and get a bottom pick that yeah. you, you got to rack and stack it based off of the system, not based off of entirely what you want. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. And so we're going to hold your feet to the fire. We're going to be looking for a video on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I need, to, I need to clarify it all. And I've had it in my head for so long. Okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just got here four months ago. So I'm still uh, with my career field uh, going between bases. Those two bases don't even work the same airframe either. So uh, it's been a process of learning. When I first got to Kadena, learning the F-15s, how to do aircraft structural maintenance on those. And then when I came to Nellis, I had to basically learn my job all over again with learning on the HH-60s. Oh, so, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So, so we'll get into that a little bit. And I think that, um, that's, uh, that sounds interesting. So it sounds like it's very, like there's a lot of, uh, on the job training when it comes to your specific. So you like learn the, the very minimum fundamentals in tech school. And then, then you learn all the technical details and whenever you get to your base, right. I'm about to be a staff sergeant and I'm relearning how to do my job. (laughs) So yeah, continual learning then. So you get, you got to love learning, right. To be in your AFSC. 
definitely. <laughs> okay, cool. Stop learning. So, so actually, let's just go right into it right now then. So uh, the uh, aircraft structural maintenance, which again is the 2Alpha 7X3 AFSC. So tell us a little bit about it in your own words, about what exactly it is and what does the average day look like for you? So it might be a little confusing for some of the information online, especially from the Air Force because or from your recruiter, from what they know, because airframe and uh, structural maintenance makes it seem like you're you're just going to work with metal and even maybe welding, which my career field does not actually weld. That's metals technology. Um, But when I was joining, I thought that we welded, but we do not. Uh, So we deal with pretty much anything that is metal on the aircraft that is like a piece of sheet metal. Yeah. Uh, All the skins, which is like a flat piece of metal, we deal with that or any type of structure that is formed from sheet metal. Yeah. We also deal with some uh, milled out pieces of metal, but metals technology is who mills it out. And then they will give it to us and we drill everything onto the aircraft. So we actually are the ones that pretty much like install the aircraft together. Oh, got it. Okay. Okay. So, so, so you're actually, you're putting the Lego pieces together on the aircraft. Yes. Yes. Like metals technology can give us some parts yeah. or we will make our own parts, but then we're the ones that literally build the Legos of the, of the airframe. Got so it. Okay. We put everything together. We rivet everything together. We seal everything together. We, uh, but we don't do metal. So it all, that's not all that we do. It might be a little misleading with the uh, title, but we actually do things such as like carbon fiber. We do fiberglass. We also are the ones that paint uh, all the airframes. So my career field is actually, if they had a, a career field for painting aircraft, it was actually like compiled into my, air, uh, my AFSC. Oh, see, I didn't, I didn't know that part. Um, so yeah, I have family members that actually paint aircraft. So mm-hmm. that's, and I've always wondered on which, which AFSC actually did that. So aircraft structural maintenance. So it's a little bit misleading, but we, it used to be separate, uh, AFSCs, but they actually compiled it all into one. And now we just do it all. So that that's why another thing, it's a learning process because most bases have separate shops for a paint barn yeah, and then have a sheet metal shop, but it's the same career field and they can literally go like, Hey, next week you're going down to paint barn and we're bringing someone to sheet metal because we're the same career field. So they can just swap us whenever they want. And so you have to know both sides of it. And it's a completely it feels like a completely different career field. Uh, so it's definitely, I haven't painted in three years and we paint here. They don't, we don't actually have a uh, paint barn here. We, our sheet metal guys will send someone down and paint and they'll come back to sheet metal. So, wow, man, you I guys, have, you guys do a lot. So since I trained, I haven't painted. Uh, when I initially trained at Kadena in the first two months I was there, I did one month of on the job training of painting aircraft. And I have not painted aircraft since. So if they asked me to do that today, I would probably fail. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay, cool. So what is the, what does the tech school look like? And what is the, the environment uh, there? Tech school is actually really fun. It is honestly probably my favorite part of my career to date. And I've been in for four years. It was, for one, it's in Pensacola, Florida. For nice. Crew, which is super awesome. Non-destructive inspection. And uh, low observable aircraft structural maintenance and aircraft structural maintenance are the three career fields that go to Pensacola for tech school. And when you're there, you learn not only do you learn sheet metal and the airframe aspect, but you learn the painting, you learn uh, advanced composites, you learn everything, fasteners. And it's really it's like a fast track course because you're learning like 10 different things in four months. Jeez. And 
So you spend a week or two on each little section, and then you take a test at the end of each section. And it was a lot of fun, though, because I love to learn, and I, I just think that Okay, I dropped out of college to join the Air Force, so you might think, oh, you don't you don't really like to learn, but I like to learn, but more hands-on and less bookwork. And yeah. the tech school was about 25% bookwork and about 75% hands-on. So uh, when you learned, you could literally get by by barely even reading the book, which I don't suggest. Yeah. But uh, it the book kind of just followed through with what you did hands-on. So it was kind of like when you get a desk at Ikea and you got to put it together, like you got to read the book on how to do it, but most of it is you actually putting it together. And so that was, it was just a blast. I absolutely loved tech school. So it sounds like, um, and, and from my own experience in, in interacting with different maintenance career fields, you guys have, I guess what are called TOs. Is that, yes. is that right? And, and you basically orders. technical orders. Okay. So they, and you basically have to, I mean, it's like your checklist, right? For how to do certain things and you have to follow it to the T. Is that right? Or am I exaggerating? It's a little bit? Your, like your job guide or your manual for what you're doing. Um, which is another thing because each airframe, their TOs are organized completely differently. So I came from F-15s, which are probably the most organized TOs in all of the air force. So you can find anything within two minutes and like someone can say, Hey, this is broken or this is wrong. You can find that part and you can find out how to repair it within two minutes. It's super straightforward, simple, organized coming to HA 60s, the pave Hawks here at Nellis, the TOs are absolutely terrible and they're not. <laughs> and even people that have been here for years are like, yeah, they don't really make sense. And they still don't even understand them for the most part. And that's it's kind of sucks for me because I'm so used to the organization of the F-15. I come here and I'm like, how do I do this? Like the TOs in the F-15 told me exactly what to do and how to do it. And now I get here and everything's just like super general on a helicopter. And they're like, yeah, I don't really know how to find that part. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> uh, but it's for the most if you search enough, you'll find it in the helicopter TOs. But it's it's a pain. It takes forever. And once I get most people start to memorize where things are in the TO. Yeah. Uh, but for the 15, you didn't have to worry about it. Like I had the major things memorized, but I could find anything in that TO immediately, but it's pretty much like building Legos. You just go to whatever, whatever part of the aircraft you're going to build. And then it tells you step-by-step step how to either remove it or replace it or fix it. Nice. So it, there's, it sounds like there's a lot of, um, uh, variants definitely from base to base than from airframe to airframe. It's um, kind of <laughs> Golly, so then you got to learn everything over, just like you'd said earlier, you know, it, it seems like that you definitely have to be good at learning things and being um, flexible. It sounds like I barely feel like I know my job when I switch bases. And that's, that's something that's hard about this job, but, uh, it, for the most part, some of like what you do is the same, but how you do it and how you follow, cause you have to follow the rules. So, uh, you mentioned the TOs, you actually have to have it. They're on iPads. Now they used to be paper books. Oh, nice. Uh, Way back in the day, they and then they switched to laptops, and now they have them on iPads. Don't break the iPads because they get really mad about that. Uh, <laughs> Are you speaking from experience? Yeah, no, not me. But every time someone breaks one at another uh, another base that's under our command, they have to send out this thing, and we all get briefed on how someone at some base broke a broken iPad that cost four hundred dollars. Oh, that sounds nice. And, <laughs> yeah, I was like, of all the things that break, you guys want to get mad about an iPod. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we have these iPads that uh, we're on it. So they have PDF, PDF files that the TOs are on. But you have to have the PDF of the correct one. So my, for my career field on the helicopters, we use 
uh, roughly around four to eight different TOs that you need to like know, know how to navigate through. And they're all like several hundred pages long. And it's super confused because you have to have, and they're like super long numbers. Yeah. Um, like a sequence of number and letters that you have to memorize. So, but you have to have the correct one open. So if you were working something and quality assurance comes up to you, which is that we call them QA, they're, they're who kind of looks over and makes sure everybody's doing the correct thing and you can get in trouble by mm-hmm. them. Uh, if they come up to you and you're doing something and either your iPad is not on or you don't have an iPad or if it is on, but you're say looking up how to install rivets, but really you're doing something completely different. They can like say you're painting, but you have it open to installing rivets. You can actually get in trouble and then get paperwork. So, uh, so that's not I, something you want. You want to very, no, you, you want to always have your TO always. That's something that you can, it's probably the most easy, easily thing you can get in trouble. Got it. So, so listen, listen to that. Everyone who's ever thinking about joining this career field or you get this career field is that, you know, leave your TO open and you'll have a good career, right? Yes. Well, <laughs> And follow it. Some people leave it open and don't always no, follow. Okay, got it. <laughs> what does the upgrade training look like? So you leave tech school and you get to your first base. And uh, I can imagine it seems like that there would be quite a few volumes when it comes to your upgrade training and getting your your five level. Um, so what, so what, is, what does that look like? So uh, when you get your first base, you're going to start doing on-the-job training. Uh, you're also going to have to in process do a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, that's for any career field. Uh, but then you're also going to get issued your career development courses, which is your uh, CDCs. And I also have a video on that. Most of the stuff I mentioned, if you guys have a question, you're like, I wonder what that is. Just uh, get on YouTube and type in whatever your question is. And I probably have a video on it. So I've <laughs> like two videos over CDCs and explain how those work and in, more in depth than we're going to in this podcast. Yeah. But, the uh, the CDCs for me when I joined were five volumes. They recently this year just consolidated them down to four volumes. So they cut a lot of stuff out that they were like, that was old school. We don't do that anymore. Like, let's just shrink it down. So they went through, edited everything, and now it's four volumes, which you are allotted one month per volume to complete, then test on that volume. And then after you finish all four volumes, you have to – you they will give you four months one month per volume to study over all of them as a whole. And then you will take pre-tests. At least for me, bases depend because here at Nellis, they just make sure you get three nineties on pre-tests. Yeah. And then they pretty much are like, you good. And they let you go test. Now at Kadena, it was completely different. Um, I think mainly because the workload was so heavy there compared to where I am now that you didn't have time to do CDCs at work. You had to do all on your own time. So they wanted to make sure that you were actually learning. So you would do your pretest, get 390s. Then you would do a supervisor interview multiple times until they felt like you were ready. Then you would go to your shop chief, do multiple interviews. And then you would go to your flight chief and do multiple interviews. And then you would go up to the commander and get an interview. And oh then you gosh. would test. It was so nerve wracking and uh, that, that's a that's a long process. So you got to throw all the all the technical knowledge in your CDCs, and now you got to go through this entire process beforehand. And you're learning stuff that, like how I said when I was at Kadena, I did one thing. Now I come here and I got to learn other stuff. Your CDCs are of everything that every base in your career field will do. So not only are you trying to learn what you're doing at your base, but you're trying to learn what people at this base and this base and this base will do in your career field. But you won't even do it if you don't go to that base. And so it's really hard because some of the stuff you can ask about and you're like, what does this mean? And they're like, I don't know. I've never seen it. And it could be someone that's been in for 15 years oh because gosh, they didn't been go forever. to the, the two bases that did that thing. And 
so that's something that can be really difficult as you're trying to learn stuff that you're like, I probably won't ever see this in my life. And so, uh, and it's a very extensive, there's so much there's, I have five volumes and, um, when you, you go to test, you have to score 65 or higher. So it's not that hard after at Kadena, it was near impossible to fail. Like you, if you went through all those interviews and you still failed, it was almost like you wanted to, because they kind of made sure that you knew the answers before you went and took the test. Yeah. So yeah, the uh, system is designed to, to make you pass, right? You know, no matter how stringent it may appear. So they, yeah, they definitely don't want people to fail because it looks bad on everyone. Yeah. Uh, It looks bad on you. It looks bad on your shop because they didn't prepare you. So they don't want you to fail. They definitely will walk you through everything and make sure to question. They're questioning you because they don't want you to fail. Yeah. And uh, so you'll do all that while you're doing upgrade training or on the, on the job training and everything has to be like documented, what you've learned, what you've done. And eventually you'll learn everything you're supposed to do at that base, even though some of it you might never do the rest of the time you're there, or you might see it twice in yeah. two years that you're there. Uh, but you learn everything that you could possibly do on that airframe for your level. So a five level is any airman. And then once you hit staff sergeant, you get your seven level. And then that's all new. Like now that I, I've made staff and I'm about to be a staff this summer, I'm going through upgrade training again for seven level. Um, but when you're new, it's just on the job training for whatever airframe you're currently working. And then your CDCs, which is anything over the air force for our career field. Yeah. So what are, what do you, what would you say in your opinion are some of the, the pros to, to aircraft structural maintenance? Uh, what is it that people tend to like about it? Uh, People that are very uh, like big gearheads, uh, maybe worked on cars before they joined or liked airplanes before they joined a lot. Uh, people that really like working with their hands and being dirty and cut up and just being like that manly man, like maintenance yeah. first. Uh, those people tend to be like, I live for this. This is my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's So that's a big thing is the people that love it are usually the ones that were already into the maintenance lifestyle before they joined. Um, or they have a big infatuation with airplanes, uh, or how just like maintenance works in general. Um, but some of the pros are if you are interested in working for civilian air or airline companies that you can do this career field and most civilian airline companies, uh, or sheet metal companies pretty much require a, uh, sometimes it'll say it requires an AMP license, uh, but not always. Sometimes they'll say we want an AMP license or prior military six years of service. So that's what I've seen a lot, like looking into career fields, because not that I want to do this on the outside, but I've looked into it just to kind of see like, if that came down to it, how would I be able to do that? Yeah. So it's fairly easy to get out of the military and just apply somewhere and go, I did it for six years in the air force. And they'll be like, cool, we will take you. Nice. So your military experience will actually translate directly to in lieu of the license itself. And it actually pays better on the outside. Uh, a lot of people that get out actually make more money being a civilian. Um, so it might be one of the, the cons instead of pros um, for not wanting to stay in because yeah. people are like, I can just get out and work down the road and make more. Yeah. And people end up, people end up doing that because contractors make a, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, they do too. Uh, so, and that's, and I think that's across the board on a lot of career fields in the air force in general is that, you know, they teach you an amazing skill, right? And and we may, even though military members, they do get paid pretty good. We don't get paid bad. I think we like. I think the pay in the military really isn't. Uh, one of the misconceptions is people might see online like our military makes less than minimum wage. Uh, but if you really calculate out 
how many hours a week I work, which is about 50 hours a week. Uh, with a 50-hour work week every week for a year, I average about $18 an hour as an airman, So, which I'm like in the lower tier. I'm actually going to be getting a pay raise well, at the start of the new year and then again when I get promoted. So that should bump up to like $22 an hour, which really isn't a terrible job. No, not at all. The Air Force teaches you, you know, some great skills um, that can that can get you paid really well on the outside. Um, yes. The the con of it is is that like something like air traffic control, you know, you're still making the same as you know eighteen dollars an hour or whenever you make staff sergeant equivalent of about twenty two dollars an hour mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. But when you get on the outside, you're automatically making six figures because you have all that experience. So I'm yep. sure there's a definitely a retention problem. Um, with those, those, that's those why yeah, they recently started offering all maintenance career fields, a, uh, a six year sign on bonus, which they hadn't, I didn't get a sign on bonus. Now you get a $2,000 sign on bonus. If you go any career field in maintenance for a six year contract, because they're trying to get people into maintenance, but not only get them into maintenance, but they don't want them doing four years. They want people doing six because they need to retain people. So it, maintenance is definitely hurting right now. And, uh, there are a lot of people, I think it being undermanned doesn't really help because people there's a lot of stress in there because there's not enough people and there's a like if the workload is heavy and you have too little people it stresses people out so then people want to get out because of that but then they're trying to get more people in because of that um and so that's why they're trying to to get so many people join it's just because there there is a an undermanned issue but that also comes down to funding uh, air force wide i think air force wide we are undermanned for most career fields not just maintenance but Maintenance usually feels it the most because the workload is uh, fairly heavier than other career fields. Yeah, absolutely. Because the, the planes have got to fly. That's our mission, right? In the Air Force. <laughs> Every day, they're like, this has to make this sortie today. Like, you need to fix this tonight. And I'm like, I'm by myself. I'm running. Like, I just got to this new base and I'm running midshift by myself. Like, I, there's no one. So, like, when I got to go do jobs, I'm still learning. And so I got to go do stuff by myself while I teach myself. And they're like, this flies in the morning. You have to get this done. And I'm like, oh gosh, like it. And there's a lot of weight on your shoulder in maintenance because it can literally come down to this aircraft didn't fly because of you. Yeah. And And I can imagine some bad things happen at that point. mm -hmm. Yeah. They don't like when that happens. (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) What about um, some of the cons might be or misconceptions of the career field? Uh, Some of the cons are uh, the work isn't always the best. Um, I'm not really, for me, at least this is going to be in my opinion, uh, all this stuff because, yes. uh, this is, is about me. Uh, it might be different for someone that's like a, a big gearhead. I've always been someone that's like, I'm on YouTube, like I'm into technology, you know, <laughs> like not so much working with like wrenches. And, um, so for me, it, I, I go to work every day and I like cut my hands up. I get greasy and oily and paint all over me. And, and I, I don't really like to get dirty. Not that I'm a neat freak, yeah, uh, yeah. but it's just like every day I come home and I have like cuts on my hands and there's always like stains on my hands. And uh, sometimes I was like, man, I just wish I didn't have to go home like this every day. You're like, <laughs> I was like, I wish I could be somewhat presentable to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but, but McKenna probably definitely thinks McKenna, your wife should, I'm sure she probably definitely thinks that you're more of a man when you come home with, you know, those, <laughs> all that stuff all over your hands. Right. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> um, for me, just the just the work in general, uh, I don't particularly enjoy it because it doesn't really play off of any of my skills. 
And so that's something that's hard every day is doing something that uh, I, it's not that I'm bad at my job. Uh, I was actually really, really good at my job at my last base, this base, not so I'm still learning. So uh, hopefully I get good at it again, but um, I'm good at it, but it's not something that I really enjoy a whole lot. So for me, it's, it's kind of hard to do every day. And then we work like 50 hours a week or sometimes it can be more depending on what's going on. If there's more maintenance, you got to stay longer. And, um, so that's something. And then just being in the air force in general, uh, when you were in the air force, I don't know if, uh, how EPR system worked for you when you were in. It's changed a lot lately as of, as of late. It, it's very time consuming. A lot of the Air Force, just to be an airman in general, is very time consuming and uh, can be very stressful. And then to do maintenance, which is extremely stressful on top of that, that's something that I, I don't really, it would be a con for me is yeah. being an airman and a maintainer at the same time is like two stresses like piled on top of each other. So, yeah. um, but really, like the job is pretty cool. Like we work on aircraft. So, like, there's not a whole lot of cons other than the fact that it's just not like, it's not my skill set. Yeah. It's not what I feel like I was born to do is do maintenance. I, I'd rather do something on the, the realm of the internet. But uh, unfortunately, I didn't get that career field because it, I'm color deficient. I was so, going to say, it sounds like you probably need to be like a public affairs or something like that. I know, that's what I wanted to be. But they were like, nope, you can't see full color. So you can't take pictures. You can't do with videos. And I was like, oh. but then they want me to paint aircraft. And I was like, that's a smart idea. <laughs> there's only one paint color. Gray, right? <laughs> well, there's like, we do two different grays. And sometimes I can't. I'm like, uh, like, they're <laughs> but I was like, what color is that? And I'm like, uh, 118, I think. And they'll be like, are you sure? And then I'm like, wait, no, no, no. it might be like 176. Oh my gosh. <laughs> numbers, so we memorized the numbers of them. But then like, so like sometimes those in between ones, I'm like, I don't know. What <laughs> Not quite there. <laughs> I'm like, it's, uh, it could be this. And so we have to go like double check. And then <laughs> like, All right, I, I can't see full color. So. <laughs> what about the, uh, the deployment tempo? Um, what, what does that look like for your career field? I know in, overall in the air force is kind of their deployments are winding down. Um, but, but specifically to your AFSC. Don't, uh, don't join this career field. If you think it's a guarantee that you will get deployed. Um, because it depends on your base. That's a big misconception with deployments is a lot of people think the military, like we just, we go overseas, we carry around guns, we shoot people, we, we just wreak havoc on whatever. Like, it's not like that at all, especially in the air force, the air force, is like the complete opposite of that. Yeah. When we get deployed, you're like over there and you get dorms and you get a nice defect and like, you know, you live the dream over there in the desert. But, uh, so it's not everybody carrying around guns, shooting people. If you're in the air force, it's fairly safe. Uh, if you get deployed, it's, it's very rare occasion that people actually die. Um, especially in maintenance, it's not a, a big factor, uh, more so like security forces and special operations. Uh, that's more dangerous. Um, but, and they deploy a lot more in those career fields. As yeah. far as maintenance goes, we still deploy, uh, cause we always have aircraft over, uh, overseas in deployment locations. But, uh, my career field, it really depends on the base. Some bases you can go to and they're constantly on a deployment rotation cause their airframe is specifically needed. Um, say like a bomber, if you go to a bomber base, you'll be doing my job on the bombers and they deploy quite often. So you could be going over there uh, every year or two. Uh, but my career field for the bases that I have been to Kadena, we almost never deployed the whole three years I was there. When I got there, they had just right after I got there, two people or four people came back from a deployment. Right. When I got there, we had uh, around like 60 uh, aircraft structural maintainers at Kadena, I believe. Uh, 60 to 80, uh, 
don't quote me. I might be wrong, but I know we have <laughs> a fairly high number of people there for our career field. And four people came back when I got there. And then a year and a half later, we sent two people on a deployment out of like 60 people. And then they came back six months later and nobody else deployed the rest of the time I was there. So it's, so, it's definitely low then. Definitely low. Yes. And then, but then we come to Nellis now with the helicopters and those are on a constant deployment rotation. And we actually just had two people get back from a deployment and we just sent a deployment out a month ago. So we had actually two deployments cross over and my shop at Nellis is very small. Uh, I'm used to like 60 people working between three different shops. Here's just one sheet metal shop and we have like 15 people and they deploy around four to six people a year. So the, the odds of me deploying are better at this base. Yeah. But I'm looking to get out in two years now, so uh, that might conflict with me trying to deploy. It might not work out, uh, so I I may never get a deploy in my six year career. Yeah, so it, it definitely sounds like it's uh it's low overall on average, and then it mostly depends on the specific airframe and their mission. Um, yes, on whether it's, how often you actually deploy. Uh, not even the same airframes will deploy because I worked on F-15s, and we actually deploy F-15s to the desert. But we deploy F-15E models mostly. And I was working C models, which is the older version, because that's all Kadena had. And there are other bases that have E model squadrons. So same same airframe, uh, but different base, different mission. And they deploy with their F-15s. But Kadena, we didn't really deploy at all with our F-15s. So. So what is what is the the do you have any like special duty assignments that are specific to your AFSC, or is it pretty much you do structural maintenance and then you can apply for other uh, special duty assignments like MTI and stuff like that outside of your AFSC? You you can do those things uh, within most maintenance units. You can get pulled to do quality assurance QA. Uh, so that's not its own career field. That's actually made up of other maintenance career fields. So you can do quality assurance. So you can be the one that goes around and gets people in trouble. Uh, <laughs> and but with QA is not there to get people in trouble. It's there to train and there to correct uh, issues. And they're also there for safety. Uh, they have to correct any safety thing that they find immediately on the spot uh, because that's their main purpose is safety. Uh, sometimes it doesn't always feel like that. <laughs> um, not, not that they don't correct safety, but um, with the getting in trouble part, sometimes yeah. you they're just out to get you because uh, <laughs> they also can get in trouble for not catching things. Yeah. So if they go through month after month and go, yep, no problems in this squadron, then big air force is going to say, wait a second, nobody ever gets a hundred percent three months in a row. So then they're going to come and inspect QA. Uh, but that's one of the things that you can do as a special, a special duty. It's a, usually a year commitment, uh, if not two years. And uh, you can also do anything within the, the maintenance squadrons, uh, you can do, uh, say like deployment manager, uh, you can do training managers. Um, there, there's uh, several things I can't really think off the top of my head right now, but there's a lot of different things that it basically give you a break from doing your actual career field. Yeah. Uh, but you stay within the maintenance unit. And then after a year or two of doing that, then you just go right back to being in the career field that you were doing. So a lot of people will get to a base and be there for like two months. They'll be like, Hey, we're going to put you in QA though. They're there for a year or two. And then they move right back to the shop. Got it. And then go back to just doing their career field. Um, so for the most part, you're going to stay in the maintenance world. You might not be doing hands-on maintenance. You might be doing some of the, the background, uh, admin stuff that needs to be done to make 
uh, a maintenance squadron go round. Yeah. Uh, but then in the end, you can also apply for like recruiter spot. Oh, actually, they just took that away. I just remembered. Uh, they used to back when you were in, you could apply for yes. those. Now you have to be commander recommended. So they, that's they, good to know. So not everybody can be like, I want to be an MTI and just be a jerk to people. Like it has to be the, the commander has to be like, Hey, this guy, that's a good airman. He's top and notch. I take care of our recruits. So, uh, you got to stand out and you really got to either get to know your commander and like, let them know like, Hey, I'm trying to do this. And this is why you should do this for me. Um, because it has to be commander requested now. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Thanks for that information. That's yeah, that's, really, that's actually really, really good. good. Because I know, I know that uh, recruiters and uh, MTIs in general were very critically manned, um, and they were actually doing uh, force ret- not retraining, but force uh, assignments. Um, so if you were eligible to be assigned as a recruiter or MTI, then then you could be picked up without actually being a volunteer for a while. So um, yeah. I don't know if that's still going on or not, but it sounds like it's a good transition for commander recommendation because I think it definitely ups the quality um, of of people within those those fields, especially coming in contact with new troops with me uh with my youtube channel doing air force informational videos for over four years now like over five years now a lot of that's probably the biggest thing people tell me is like you should be a recruiter but i'm like i don't know if i could be a recruiter (laughs) (laughs) well you'd actually be surprised i think i have a lot of people have wrote me and said that uh that i should be a recruiter as well but i think uh being on the outside and interviewing people on the inside and also other veterans and stuff that I don't, I don't wear the air force logo. You know what I mean? So there's no, I don't have any benefit in whether or not you join or not. It's just trying to help you as much as possible. And I have no doubt that that's the same as yours. I would tell people like to join things that they really want instead of being like, this is what the air force needs. I don't feel like I could do that to people. Like really the air force needs come first, but uh, like me being, I don't think being a recruiter really fits my personality. Yeah. I make air force informational videos, but I, if you want to join, join, if you don't, you don't, I'm just, I'm just here to help you. If you, you're looking for that information, yeah. um, doesn't benefit me in any way. I don't have any numbers to me. Uh, yep. It's not based on me. Like I need this many people to join because of me. I just do it because I'm trying to better the world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And good for you for doing that too. So I think that pretty much covers all the questions that I have about your AFSC. Um, but what is it that, that you think that I might be missing that you think that might be important to someone coming into an aircraft structural maintenance? Um, maintenance is not what I thought it was. It is very tedious uh, when I joined, this is something that probably the biggest misconception probably should have been like one of the first things we talked about, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, hopefully you guys are still listening to this podcast if you're interested in aircraft structural maintenance. But, uh, uh, just so you, you're aware of what I had a very skewed, uh, expectation for what I was going into, what the air force was, how maintenance was. Everybody's like, Oh yeah, you, you're just going to build stuff all the time. Like you're going to pull your motorcycle in the shop and just build stuff for it. And like, <laughs> that, that was, that was old air force. The air force is not, you can go to jail for that now. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> not a good idea. Fraud, fraud, waste and abuse. So you don't want to do that anymore. Uh, but back in the day they used to get away with that stuff. Uh, um, so that's what I was told. Like, that's how maintenance is, but really it's not. And then, uh, there's actually a lot of documentation that goes on in maintenance. Uh, I thought that you would just be like, hey, they'd be like, this is broken. And you would go out and just like build something and like put it on the aircraft. Like I thought aircraft were well, I didn't even know they were riveted together. There's like, <laughs> of, like there's like hundreds of bolts and screws and rivets that go into an airframe. And I thought it was just like you put a sheet of metal on there and you just like welded the corners and you're like, yep, it's good. Good to go. Not at all. Uh, so like I didn't understand like how extensive maintenance was. 
but I didn't understand how serious it was too. Uh, cause when you're doing maintenance, everything that you do has to get documented on paper. So it's not like you go do the maintenance and someone else just does it for you. You have to go do the job. And after you do the job, you have to go get the aircraft forms and then you have to put in, Hey, I did this or I removed this. And then once, so if you remove something, you have to go over the forms and be like, I removed such and such like spar or such and such bracket. And then once it's replaced, you have to replace it on the aircraft, then go back to the forms and document and say, I replaced this and then in accordance with, and you have to refer, uh, refer back to that TO that we talked about earlier. Yes. And it's very tedious because QA can come through and be like, that's the wrong reference. Oh, and then no. It's very serious. You have to actually know what you're doing and document everything properly. And uh, it's very serious because if something doesn't get documented, uh, it's one of the things I kind of get annoyed about, but I understand why it's there. But you just have to do so much with it. Like there's every little thing you do. It needs to be documented else you can get in trouble. Uh, but it's, it's necessary because when you're doing maintenance, if something is removed and it doesn't get written up and the aircraft flies and something say that was an essential piece to it and it something happens and it crashes and then they find out like in the post crash recovery stuff that this was removed or this was broken or this and it was like, well, we had called sheet metal to work on this. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, why is that part in your shop? And it was never documented because if it's documented, they can't fly the aircraft yeah. as long as you the aircraft off. So um, it's very important to document that stuff. And I didn't realize how important this stuff was. I thought you just go out and you slap some stuff on, you, you leave, and then you just like build airframe. Like I didn't really understand what all went into it. And uh, it, there's just a lot of paperwork that goes into it. And then not only do we have to document the paperwork, we have to get on an online server and then we have to upload everything we just wrote on the forms. We have to upload it into an online server and then we have to write it up in there and then sign it off once we sign it off in form. So it's a double check yep. to make sure that it is, if it needs to be grounded, the aircraft is documented that it needs to be grounded and do not fly. Um, so that's something I didn't know. I didn't understand that there's so much more behind maintenance than just fixing the airframe. Yeah. And uh, it was, it's kind of overwhelming still. I've been in for four years and I'm still like, wow, maintenance is, it's an animal. Like you, you can, can be in for 10 years and there's still parts of maintenance that you're just like, I did not know this because it's so extensive and it's not just, it's not just you doing your career field. It's, it's you playing a part in the whole maintenance and, uh, generating aircraft. It, it's really insane actually. It, and, uh, it can be very overwhelming. Um, so that's why it's something that, it, that most people don't understand or know and just know that, uh, there's a lot of information coming at you if you yeah. join this career field. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. That's crazy. And there's no doubt about it that maintenance career fields in general um, and specific to yours is that, you know, if, if the aircraft don't fly, the mission doesn't get done. Um, and, and we and, have a mission essential uh, on rescue. Like our helicopters are yes. rescue. So we actually do local rescue missions. Um, and then, so sometimes like people's lives can literally matter on the fact of whether we not, whether or not we can get aircraft in the air in time or not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is like the, the exclamation point on the, on all this is that if you don't have maintenance, you don't have missions, you don't have aircraft, um, and you, and you can't save lives and you can't win wars, you know what I mean? And that's ultimately the big picture of the whole thing. So, um, so yeah, that giant beast of documenting and, and dealing with quality assurance and stuff like that is all, uh, there, uh, for mission success. Right. And yes. it's the same as like studying for your CDCs and, and 
the whole thing is designed to help you pass, right? And sure, from a day to day, I'm sure the the bureaucracy and and the having to have QA look over your shoulder and stuff like that is is tedious and and no doubt you want to pull out your hair at times. But I mean, you you probably just need to like you just need to think of like if if I don't have this this iPad out, then it could be possibly you know mid no mission success and people don't save lives and you know what I mean is. You know, it's kind of a big, you know, hoorah right there. But so we're coming to the part of the show where where I ask you and our all of our guests just to um, pass on some words of wisdom. So I try and have them envision like if you had a brother or a cousin um, or whoever come to you and they say, Sergeant Gott, I'm thinking about joining the Air Force. Uh, what words of wisdom would you pass on to him? I'll give you just a little bit of time. Uh, definitely do whatever makes you happy. Like it sounds so cliche, like, like you might hear that your whole life, but it really don't care what other people think of you. Don't, if you're doing what you want with your life and it makes you happy. Um, I mean, people have made fun of me my whole career for doing YouTube about the air force, but I help people and I enjoy it and it makes me happy. And I will take years of getting made fun of to do something I love because I love it. And if you have a passion to want to join the Air Force, whether it's this career field and you're just trying to learn about this or uh, anything, it, even if it's not the Air Force, say you're just trying to join the military in general, you're kind of searching some things, you, maybe you want the Marines, the Army, um, whatever your heart is pulling you towards and whatever you think you should do, uh, sometimes your mom, your dad, or your brother, grandma, they might try to talk you out of it. But really, at the end of the day, like when you put your head down on that pillow at night, what is the most important thing to you. And if that is pursuing something in life and uh, stepping off that tree branch and spreading your wings, hmm. then just go ahead and do it. Because uh, at the end of the day, years and years later, I've seen too many people just look back and go, I wish I would have took that step. I wish I would have, I would have done what I wanted to when I was able to do it. And so uh, just not even in the air force in general, but just in life, uh, no matter what, as long as you're doing what makes you happy, that's all that matters. Don't do things to make other people happy because at the end of the day, you're eventually at some point going to lay down and go, man, I should have done something differently. And if you live your whole life, even like joining the Air Force, if there's a career field you want to go into uh, or if you want to join in general and people are telling you no, but you know you want to, uh, that feeling it might not go away. And if you don't do it, you'll just live with that regret. So I'm not saying do join the Air Force. I'm just saying like do whatever makes you happy, whether that's – again, I don't get any – I don't have a quota to meet. Um, I just want to see – that's the main reason for my YouTube channel is uh, I got I got tired of so many people in my depth joining and not really understanding what they were getting into. And I was trying to learn what I was getting into and yeah. I was kind of scared about it. And so I wanted to make my videos not to get people to join the Air Force but to get people educated on what they're about to do. And if that deters you from joining the Air Force, great. If it makes you want to join the Air Force, great. I just want to make sure that you make an educated decision. Uh, that way, when you make that decision, you go, I'm doing this for me. You know that 100% you're doing it for you, and it is the best decision for you. Outstanding. Yeah, absolutely. And ditto to all that, man. Um, sorry, God, thank you so much for for taking the time out of your schedule to, to join us. I know you just got off a night shift, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but seriously, I really do appreciate it. I really do appreciate it. And uh, um, it was awesome to be on here. I was super glad you reached out and didn't even know this was a thing. And I'm like, I'm super excited to see where this goes because 
And I just think this is such an awesome idea. I don't, I'm, it's crazy that no one has created this before. And <laughs> you're doing something big. That's how I feel about my YouTube channel. I'm like, how am I the first person to do something on the internet? Yeah. And like, you're literally the first person to do this on the internet. Like, how, you're paving a path that has never been paved before. Like, and it's, oh man, see, man, you're making me blush, dude. <laughs> I, it's like I've been like like shaking excited. Just doing this stuff is is what I live for. That's like that's why that's why maintenance is my thing because this yeah. is what like. I could do this all day, every day, and just every day be excited about it. Absolutely. And thanks again. I really appreciate it. No problem. I had an absolute blast interviewing Sergeant Guy for this episode. His energy is infectious. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. So here's a little bit more info on the 2Alpha 7X3 AFSC. You'll need at least a 47 mechanical score on the ASVAB. There are roughly 200 about 2,221 people within the AFSC with about 2,097 males, which comes out to about 94%, and about 124 females, which is about 6%, so definitely below the Air Force average. Tech school is 76 classroom days in Naval Air Station, Pensacola in Florida. Lucky, lucky you. Lastly, you're going to earn credits towards a CCF degree in aircraft structural maintenance technology. Well, that's it for this episode. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to head over to the show notes at foreverwingman.com slash 007. Take care, and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.